Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today we're going to talk with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist about the Trojans win uh, last Thursday night over California, uh, beating them by 21 points. Pretty convincing win. Um, if you have any questions or comments, podcast at uscfootball.com or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. You can leave a voicemail there. We got all the contact information if you want to subscribe on itunes itunes.com slash peristyle podcast or any other podcasting app just search for peristyle podcast you should be able to find us we're out there everywhere leave us some feedback that would be wonderful of course send any questions podcast at uscfootball.com well let's bring in the man of the hour dan weber what's up dan how you doing uh doing good so little uh time off on the weekend that uh Always fun. Enjoy. I think it's good for the team. It was good last week. I think it's, uh, it's good this week. So, except for the fact that the, there's weekday or weeknight games start at 7.30, I'm not all that against them because it gives you, you know, a little bit of a breather on the front end and a little bit of breather on the back end. And I don't think that's such a bad thing. I think that's actually better than having a whole week off. Uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, kind of like a half buy, I guess you could say. Uh, but yeah, they you didn't... get two half buys, yeah. yeah, and play in the middle. If if you just didn't have to start the game at seven thirty and and get back to the press box at you know twelve thirty in the morning when you're starting to write, uh, <laughs> that's just too late. Yeah, it was a late one for us for sure. Um, not getting home until late, so it was kind of nice to just relax a little bit over the weekend. I watched some other football because of that game um other Paco football but Dan the uh I I wasn't sure if USC should do an extra practice or two with the extra time off but it doesn't look like they did the normal practice schedule today's Tuesday they'll be back practicing again today just like it was a game played on Saturday as opposed to Thursday yeah and I, I know you know they're supposed to get that you know time off so they figured last week their time off was uh uh, with Friday, Saturday, and then this week their time off is Sunday, Monday, technically Monday. I mean, they still come in like they always do on Monday, you know, to stretch and, you know, check in with the trainer and lift a little bit and, you know, have their meetings and what have you. So, uh, so I, I'm not even sure if you can technically add another day if you've already had, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, straight through. Uh, I think they, you know, the weird part of it is in both the by half weeks, the, the days off run straight together. So you, you have your two days off one week and your two days off the next week. They just happen to be consecutive. Yeah. Um, so well, we'll see. I don't know. I wasn't sure what the rules are for that, but. Uh, sometimes when the schedule comes out, we see, oh, they're going to practice on Sunday, uh, you know, 
just walkthroughs or something, but we didn't see anything like that. So, uh, but normal week now, uh, heading into the game against Oregon, but we had some questions about, you know, where this team is and where they're going, Dan. And as you know, we read on the message boards, there's still mixed reviews. Uh, USC went undefeated in October, which I don't think a lot of people thought would happen, uh, after the one and three start, but certainly they're playing better football now. Um, Chris wrote in. He said, hey, Ryan, I got more of a comment than a question. USC fans need to calm down. It seems like if we beat a team, they are never a quote-unquote worthy opponent. Meanwhile, prior to the season, we had the number one ranked schedule in the nation, and all USC fans uh, wore it as a badge of honor. Look, Cal beat Texas and Utah. Arizona took Washington to the end. Colorado is a damn good team. ASU was undefeated when we played them. USC could beat the Patriots. And the day after, USC fans would whine and complain that it was, well, they weren't any good. You play who's on your schedule, period, and we've beaten four league teams in a row. Please tell USC fans to quiet their whining or quit their whining and let's get ready for Oregon. That's from Chris. Yeah, I think Chris is uh, pretty much spot on. I mean, you know, Arizona State, for whatever they are now, they were ranked, you know, when USC played them. Colorado was and still is ranked. I mean, if you look at the rankings, it's like USC didn't even play them. Maybe it's, uh, those USC, uh, posters that are doing the voting or whatever. I don't know. Of course, they, they said Colorado wasn't any good. So, you know, you just, you play who's there and uh, USC wasn't ready in September and, uh, you know, played two Pac-12 teams who, if you lined up against them now, they'd probably beat, you know, with Stanford and Oregon. I mean, Stanford and Utah, they, they weren't ready to play them. They were pretty ready to play in, in October and they did what they had to do. Have they gotten better enough? I think we'll find out, you know, if not this week, next week. And, uh, and we'll just see. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of teams this year that people, you know, the bottom has dropped out, you know, UCLA and, uh, and Notre Dame, you know, at the top of the list, but, uh, you know, all you can do is show up and, and play who you're, who you're scheduled to play and, and see how it turns out. I mean, obviously, as, if USC was as bad as everybody said at one and three, with as bad a coaching staff as everybody said they had, uh, and obviously they had underperformed and obviously the team and the coaches weren't ready, uh, they wouldn't have, you know, been undefeated in October. I mean, they didn't quit. There are a lot of teams you you watch them and you think, gosh, I don't think they want to play anymore. That hadn't been the case with USC at all. You know, these guys could have started saying, hey, I better, you know, look to my, you know, future, my NFL career, my draft status, blah, blah, blah. I don't see, we haven't seen any of that. Uh, so, you know, credit, give credit where it's due and, and not losing the team. And the team not giving up is, is a big, I think it's a credit to everybody involved. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, it's just for a point of reference, it's not just USC fans complaining. You know, they've obviously lost three games this year. I was on the Washington, uh, board on scout, uh, because, you know, USC, that game's coming up and I, you know, check out some of the stuff that's going on. And there's a lot of threads complaining about the way Washington's playing too. There ain't no, you know, undefeated. They got the second longest winning streak in the country and people are complaining on that board too. So. It's not a. It's yeah, not uncommon. I mean, I'll be honest. It, the other thing about it is, and you can't compare schedules, but let's say 
give USC, and somebody, a poster made this point, and it's a really good point, give USC uh, uh, team now Washington's schedule, they might be 8 now. You know? I mean, they, you know, by the time they got Stanford, Stanford wasn't ready to beat anybody anymore. Obviously, uh, you know, Sam uh, Darnold might not be the quarterback had USC played you know, the, the slugs that, uh, Washington opened up with. But, uh, uh, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of ways you can look at this. And, uh, you know, what would Washington's record be, uh, had they played USC schedule? And, you know, in the rain, in bad weather in Utah, you know, without some of the favorable calls, does Washington come away with, you know, with a win in that game? Uh, certainly they don't beat Alabama. And playing what, you know, Stanford when Stanford's a little healthier and still thought they were, you know, halfway good. Um, so, you know, I just let, let them play and see how, how everything, uh, you know, turns out. And that's why they play the game. Let's go to Big Nick, uh, Nick in Cyprus. He says, my question is simple. Do you agree with Sonny Dyke's assessment of the ridiculous scheduling? Uh, this isn't the first, uh, wacky schedule, i.e. last year when Arizona had no bye weeks. USC playing back-to-back road games against Stanford and Utah, six days apart, etc. Gotta love the Pac-12 for the schedule, refs, etc. I love the Pac-12 network though. Fight on from Nick. He does love the Pac- I love Nick, but does he love the Pac-12 network? Okay, well, we may agree to disagree on that one. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't think they work hard enough at it. And I know they love the blame. Last year, believe it or not, the reason Arizona didn't get a bye, you know why? Because USC uh, plays Notre Dame uh, in, in the middle of the year on the road and at the end of the year at home. And Stanford fills in the other spots. But they use that as a justification in the Pac-12 for almost any scheduling anomaly. I mean, the year before, I guess it was when USC, or was it two years uh Every single opponent USC had hit a bye the week before. Uh, the pack, I, they just don't work hard enough at it, I don't think. I think, and, and I, I fault the athletic director. So if I'm the Cal athletic director and they come to me with that schedule in July or whenever they see it and it says you got two straight weeknight games and the second one is going to be on the road at USC with six days, uh, rest, you just say no. You send it back to the Pac-12, drive it up. I mean, you could walk from the Cal's athletic department to the, you know, the offices in Walnut Creek and you say, no, do this again. We're not doing this. You don't wait until the week of the game and then complain 40,000 times like they, they did. I mean, too late then say something when it happens. And I wish we would hear more from Pac-12 ADs uh, when stuff like that happens. But they they go in hiding, apparently. And, you know, stuff just keeps happening. Uh, you think that would happen in the SEC? You know, you think the SEC would play Alabama against LSU first game of the season? You think? No. Yeah, right. Yeah, they'd do that. No, they figure out how to do it. They figure out how to get LSU and Alabama both a bye the week before they play every year. And they're not going to have anything else. For example, when uh, LSU lost that game at Florida uh, because of the hurricane, uh, 
and they had an open date. And they said, well, why don't you play then? And, and LSU said, no, we're not doing that. LSU held out to the point where they got the game moved from uh, Florida to Baton Rouge this year. Uh, but, you know, you have to stand up for yourself. And uh, uh, I, I just don't see that that's done as much in the Pac-12. So for all the things that happen in the Pac-12, schools ought to, you know, say, uh, we're not going to put up with that. Do a better job on the schedule. And don't keep blaming USC because of the Notre Dame game, which they love to do. We have uh, Curtis Marino Valley, Dan. He said, I motion that the Peristyle podcast community give Sam Darnold the nickname of Scout. He says, please explain to the podcast community what you saw during his redshirt year that made him a quote-unquote Scout team legend. For several games now, the announcers have brought it up, but never gave examples. Uh, they love him. He will continue to be a compelling story when his nickname uh, describes his legend. Went out, and we are in the playoffs. Wow. Uh, Curtis. From Marino mm-hmm. Valley. <laughs> I mean, he just, he was, he was the guy you see now. He just made plays. He wasn't intimidated. Uh, he, you know, he didn't, pro- he had more walk-ons than say the scout team this year. Uh, but he just went out and, uh, you know, if the, uh, if the defense just kind of, you know, stood around and said, well, we're trying to figure this all out and we're trying to, you know, figure out are we ever going to blitz and all those kinds of, you know, important questions that happened last year on defense. Uh, Sam, you know, could light him up and, um, and he would, and, you know, he wasn't, you know, they weren't getting to him obviously. And, uh, he just, uh, he just made plays. I mean, it wasn't anything where, you know, it was the kind of legendary stuff. He just, they let him make plays and he made them. And, uh, you know, that was, but, but he's been doing that. I mean, I think Ryan, you and I were both there the first day he showed up in summer and you had seen him in high school. I hadn't other than on, on TV. And the first day it was like, whoa, what is, what is this? Is he really this, does he throw the ball this well? Is he this athletic? Who, who knew? Because you looked at him and, and you say, if he's as athletic and as talented, is it looks like he is, how could he not have been a five-star? I don't care if he didn't go to, you know, all the kinds of camps and played basketball and did all the other stuff. You just thought, who's evaluating these kids if this guy isn't, you know, as good as any quarterback in the country coming out of high school? But but he was just being Sam, you know, nothing, you know, where he just made one legendary play or another. He just came out and played every day. And uh, and he wasn't easy for them to stop. And I think all you need to know, and maybe the best evaluator of all, was uh, former five-star quarterback Ricky Town, who came in <laughs> in the spring and uh, had it all all yeah. to himself. Then in the then the summer comes and Sam Darnold joins, and uh, Ricky Town saw the writing on the wall, and he knew faster than anybody that Sam Darnold was going to be the guy, and he transferred out of there. So um, yeah, I think that's I mean, the ultimate looked, compliment. Yeah. He looked like he, I mean, you know, no disrespect to Ricky, he looked like, you know, Sam's little brother. I mean, it was like, it was so, and he had the advantage of spring ball, and it was so not even close. I mean, there wasn't a single way that you could compare the two of them and not, and not say, holy criminy, this, 
you know, this kid who wasn't here in the spring is just way, way, way better on every measuring scale that you could come up with. That it was puzzling a little bit to think that a five-star kid who had committed to Alabama first and then, you know, the USC just didn't even, you know, hold a candle to uh, to Sam. I mean, it was it was so uh, so not close. It was almost hard to believe that, that you know, that two kids in Southern California uh, could be this far apart in terms of, you know, just absolute ability, and yet uh, you needed to see them on the same field before it was just so obvious. And I'm not sure about the nickname Scout. I'm not a big fan. I don't know. Do you like that, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, nobody. <laughs> and, and I think we use Scout Team. And, and and maybe because we're scout, but uh, they never use it. They call it service team. Yeah. And to me, service. I I really don't like that term at all. I just think that that's a term that's dated and 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 just kind of inappropriate and all that. So so we call them scout. They call them service. You know. I think let's just let it go, and and not go there too much. Uh, Mark from La Quinta. Who I was, I was out that way recently. Um, it's kind of a follow up to the first one. He said, I saw that Larry Scott defended the scheduling of the Pac 12 in the face of Coach Dyke's comments. My guess is that while the schedule is certainly dictated by TV and the lack of quality in the Pac 12, I wonder how much pushback, uh, Larry Scott actually undertakes. My guess is that they have leverage, but he is a weasel and gives in to the execs. Can a Freedom of Information Act request be made to the Pac-12 since there's a large number of public schools? Now, that would be interesting. Mark and Lakita. Interesting. I got involved in that once, and UCLA responded. I think Utah is pretty good. Some of them just blow you off. I mean, you better be ready to um, spend a lot of time on it and not do a whole lot else because every state is different. Uh, all the rules are different, all the hoop, hoop, you know, the hoops you got to jump through, all the ways you have to categorize exactly what you're looking for. You know, you'd be looking for Pac-12, uh, you know, minutes of, of meetings. They don't always put stuff in the minutes. Uh, uh, it's, it, it's a good idea and it was one that has been tried. For the, uh, more for the TV stuff than anything. And it wasn't, it was spotty. You got some that, that, where you got actual information and others where you didn't get any information. I mean, and the, the bureaucracies and the hoops they make you jump through, uh, and how much they want to charge you, you know, for all the, you know, the pages to be copied and how much they want to charge you per page and all that. I mean, they do everything to try to discourage you. But it's a good thought and, and still one that, that maybe at the right time or the right place uh, is worth doing in terms of, uh, you know, the Pac-12 because you got 10 of the 10 of the 12, you know, schools are subject to Freedom of Information Act requests. But uh, uh, not a bad thought. It's just, it's just, you almost would need somebody to work on that full time for a while. We had Earl in West LA write in. He said, I went ballistic when Darius Rogers would cite, was cited for unsportsmanlike conduct for spinning the ball 
on the ground after his TD reception. Uh, and if you look at on uscfootball.com, we have uh, Keely has her uh, field-level highlights, and she has a really good shot of that. She was right next to him. Um, he said, granted, the best course of action should be to hand the ball to the referee. But seriously, who could have been offended by this particular action? His ball spinning appeared inconsequential to me, and it seemed the rule needs to be revisited to bring a little more common sense into what is or isn't unsportsmanlike behavior. What do you think? And then he sent the follow-up. Just saw a highlight film from Saturday's Oregon game where the Oregon receiver caught a TD pass and spun the ball in the end zone with no unsportsmanlike penalty call. Yeah, that's the infuriating thing about the Pac-12, that you have so many officials who look like they just can't handle even, you know, we talk about they couldn't handle the big moment like the uh, punt return that won the game for Washington with the three blocks in the back, or at least two. Anyway, uh, and the big moment came and they all, you know, whiffed. Uh, they can't even handle the small moments. You know, for something like that, you pick the ball up and pat him on the back and say, cool it. Uh, they don't, they don't want, you know, that was not, that was okay, but there are situations where, you know, you could get somebody on the other team thinking you're showing them up and blah, blah, blah. So we don't want that. And you just pat him on the butt and say, hey, Darius, you're a senior, you know, just hand us the ball, okay? But you don't have people that can do that in the Pac-12. You've got a lot of guys that just look like they're overwhelmed by the moment. And they're they're thinking, well, what are they going to say about me when they review the film? How about, you know, oh, maybe I better throw it. And then they throw it. And it happens on a lot of different penalties. And uh, you just don't hear that level of, confidence and uh, you know control that you'd like to see in the Pac-12, which is why some guys are comfortable enough to say that wasn't a big deal. Other guys say, geez, I better throw that or they'll yell at me. Well, that isn't the way to, you know, run a railroad. I mean, either, you know, it is or it isn't. And um, and the Pac-12 just doesn't have it. They, they just don't have those guys. When you, I mean, I, I, you know, covered the Big Ten and the SEC fairly closely and got to know some of the officials and you had a different kind of a guy doing the games than you do in the Pac-12. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know where the, and, and that was the case to a great extent in basketball. And I, I, I don't know the political dynamic, you know, it is kind of political to get into those uh, you know, all those major college officiating, uh, you know, crews. But, uh, something's different in the Pac-12. Don't know what it is. Nobody, I mean, I think there have been at least four different people in charge of the Pac-12 officials in football. They always say the same thing. They always try to do, you know, all, tell you all the things they're doing in terms of education and updating and, you know, getting, and it, ne- it never seems to change. So, <laughs> I wish I had an answer. Don't. We, uh, Kevin wrote in. He said, what's the scoop with John Houston not getting any run? Why is he not backing up Michael Hutchins? Same for Achille Ross. Are they in Clancy Pendergast's doghouse? Kevin no longer in South Orange County. Hmm. Uh, Achille doesn't seem to have made a move. And, and I... You, you know, there are things that, that Clancy wants you to do and expects of you. And if he 
doesn't feel like you're going to do it. I mean, let's face it. He, you know, he'd go with 12 or 13 guys if, you know, if he could get away with it. If, you know, if teams didn't run, you know, run as many plays as they do now, uh, that might be the way he, he's going. So you kind of got to force your way in there and, and with, you know, a sense of fancy feeling like he's going to be in the right place at the right time every single time. And it's just for the younger guys, sometimes you just got to, you know, convince them of that. Uh, I don't know that, I think John Houston is, I think he's, they like him, you know, pretty much. I mean, I think they see, you know, him being able, you know, to do some things. Uh, and he probably obviously lost, you know, a, a chance to really develop last year with the back uh, issues. And uh, probably, you know, he's very athletic. He'd probably put on, put on some weight. He's more kind of a, a Sua Cravens type right now. And that, that leaves him a little undersized. And when you're talking about those, you know, undersized guys, you've got already a couple of them in the mix, uh, who are more veteran than, uh, than John. So, but I, I don't think he's so far out of the mix. Uh, Achilles, I don't think we know exactly what hasn't happened with Achilles yet. We just are not, not sure. Because they're not going to come out and just say, you know, this guy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he just hasn't, you know, broken through yet. And that's kind of, you know, where these younger guys kind of have to make their case. Uh, Tarek wrote in. He said, why did USC stop running to close out the game? Didn't Clay, uh, Clay Helton win the job last year by closing out game games with the run game? Well, his answer to that was he wanted them to stay aggressive. He didn't, you know, think they wanted to just, you know, shut down against a Cal team that could score a lot of points. And so they didn't take the pass out of it, which, you know, led to the, uh, pretty awful interception, uh, that shouldn't have been called, certainly on first and ten, uh, where you wanted to see them just keep running the ball, uh, because of the time left in the game. And the fact that, you know, they were, you know, building up this kind of, uh, you know, sense of, uh, between the running backs and the offensive line, getting that kind of, uh, you know, timing. And, and as you say, there was some games last year where at the very end that was really, really necessary. Uh, so I think maybe there was a little miscommunication with, between Clay and the, uh, and the offensive, uh, T and Tyson in terms of exactly what did Clay mean. And Clay said, you know, that it was on him. Uh, but, yeah, they 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 should have really started running the ball, period, at that point in time. Yeah, I agree with you there. It's funny. Uh, we had, I think we had a voicemail and stuff talking about that as well. Um, you know, USC threw for, you know, Sam Darnold was over, I think it was 9.2 yards per attempt. Um, and the run game was like 8.3 yards per rush. So no matter what USC did, it was working. But, um, and I, I told you in the instant analysis, like, I just felt USC shouldn't throw the ball the rest of the game. And that was a game they threw five touchdown passes in, but it's just, it was weird. Yeah, no, they may have, I think deep down, they probably wanted to get Sam a long touchdown throw. I think they wanted to get that in there. Yeah. Uh, and, and it just 
it didn't work out. But uh, that would be my suspicion, that they just wanted to give him one of those to, you know, get him kind of over the hump on the long ball. Let's go to Stephen Poway, Dan. He said, do you think Nico Fala is the most improved offensive lineman on the team so far this year? It seems like the snap from center has quietly become a non-issue for the first time in recent memory, and he seems to be blocking pretty well, too. Thanks, Steve in Poway. Yeah, I think, Steve, that's, I would say you could definitely say that. His, you know, I mean, he was a kid that came on from way down in the pack. I mean, he was, he was not big enough, probably, in, in a lot of ways to play, not thick enough, uh, strong enough. And, you know, comes in and you know, plays against UCLA and, and, and just kind of hasn't left the scene at that point. It's just kind of been, you know, he's going to play somewhere. Um, and with Toa going down, he, uh, he's going to play, uh, you know, center. And, you know, they, they could have decided with Khalil Rogers, but, uh, they surely, uh, you know, like what, uh, what they're seeing with, with Nico and, and so do I. I mean, I just think he's, he's kind of like the old school center, more of a rangy sort of a guy, uh, a little bit leaner, uh, than you see with a lot of, a lot of centers. That's, that's kind of how it used to be. And then, you know, center started getting a little more squatty body type guys, uh, had to be athletic, but, uh, Nico, so, you know, the, the, the one negative is if you get a Stevie, T, you know, Tui Kalavati type nose guard against him, put him right, right on his, on Nico's nose, that's pretty hard for a more rangy, uh, you know, 290, maybe two, 292 pounds or whatever, uh, to, to get under somebody who's three, 320 or whatever and, and low to the ground. But, but other than that, he, uh, I think they're doing a lot more combination blocking or they're pulling the center. And he does, you know, he's, he's really, he's been very good at that. We have, uh, Harold. He said, Aloha, Ryan and podcast crew. Wow. What a performance. So many obvious highlights from the running game to Sam's five touchdowns. The back to back turnovers were concerning, but it was good to see a team, uh, that kept its composure and didn't melt down at that point. That's progress. And last month, the same team might have wet their pants in the same situation. Fair. Uh, everyone from coaches to players look more comfortable now. I will ask this again. How cool is Clay Helton's seat now? Has he done enough to quiet the naysayers for now? Dear Dory, tuck the ball and stop waving around on your returns. Loved everything I saw this week. Thanks for your coverage. Harold NorCal Trojan. Well, I think the opening was horrific enough. And the fact that we look back and see that, you know, Stanford is semi-imploded, uh, Utah is Utah, they're okay. And, uh, so that will stay, that's a, you know, that's a mark that's not going away. Um, you know, as bad as the Alabama game was, as, as embarrassing it was, you know, that one can go away. But, you know, if you lose the, you know, the Pac-12 South because of either one of those losses, people will still remember that, oh yeah, you won all these games, but, you know, if you'd have won that game. Um, so I don't know that the seat is totally cooled off. Uh, 
I mean, it would have taken a major implosion this month for, uh, you know, for Clay not to be there next year. And, you know, I guess there's, who knows? I, I think he put himself in a hole, and this team was in a hole, and as he keeps saying, we stopped digging. Uh, but that just means you stop digging and you're, you know, trying to get yourself out of the hole. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's not as hot as it was. Uh, he's not automatically just, you know, this guy can't do it. This guy's a, what a joke, blah, blah, blah. Uh, part of that is when you look at the two arch rivals that are going to come in the last two games of the season, you look and say, well, he's not as bad as, you know, more at UCLA is not as bad as Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. And he's just starting out. So maybe he deserves some slack. It wasn't, he didn't hire himself. Somebody else hired him. Uh, so, uh, I mean, he's got some things going for him at this point in time. And it, it doesn't hurt that Notre Dame and UCLA look to be in, you know, pretty much worse shape. Better not lose to him. I mean, now that puts it in a position where He's really expected to beat those teams, uh, and better beat them. And as much as, you know, that's not fair if you're USC ever to say you better beat those two, you better beat those two. Yeah. And especially when you're going to be at least a touchdown favorite in both of those games, which, which it, to me, it's like obviously USC's playing a lot better, but I think they've raised their own expectations. The Trojans have because of what we've seen on the field. And, you know, now they're, they're a 17 point favorite over Oregon. Uh, I mean, that's crazy, but that now that's what people expect. So if you lose to Oregon now, like maybe the beginning of the year, you say a lost Oregon. Okay. Not that big of a deal. If you do now, it is a big deal. If you lose as a seven or 10 point favorite over UCLA, that'll be a big deal. So I, I think, you know, Clay's made the, obviously I think he's taken the hot seat away for sure, but you've also raised the bar as far as expectations go. And it could get hot fast. I mean, that's the, they put themselves in a position where it's not going away this year. It's still going to be there. You need to put it farther and farther behind you each week that you play. And that's the challenge when you start out one and three, you know, the way they did. And I don't know if that's a bad thing. I mean, you shouldn't have to do that every week, actually. So that may be the good thing. Uh, Let's see. Okay, so. We started off with the, there was like a positive, like, Hey, USC fans, calm down. I think the last question was pretty positive, but then we get stuff like this too. Dan, this one's from Don. He said, these wins look like fool's gold in reference to Helton's coaching. You cannot leave 14 to 20 points on the field against any team and be considered a good coach. Helton begins every presser wish with that was a good team we played tonight. I guess that is his way of saying, see how good we are and how much better we have become. He sounds like he's always defending the coaching staff instead of being objective about the play of the team. Uh, coach of Utah said USC was more talented than Michigan. Michigan may go to the playoffs in USC. Unfortunately, Helton's 21 years as good has made him a quote-unquote lifer as opposed to a good coach. Very disappointed in the play of Port Augustine. Maybe he gained too much weight. So he throws a little Port Augustine shot at the end. That's from Don. Man. I will say this. Um... He's not the only one that, uh, you know, uh, the Utah coach is not the only one that, who was the Colorado coach? I mean, he said, uh, 
did he, I'm trying to remember. What did he say? Colorado Utah said that USC was more talented than Michigan. Uh, uh, Colorado played Michigan played this year. This Utah year, played, Utah them, last played year. them last year. Yeah. So they both played them. I will say this. USC has a Michigan coach on the staff right now who said the same thing. John Baxter. He said USC's got more talent than Michigan. So, yeah, you can take a shot at him for that. Uh, Michigan is, you know, how good is Michigan? I don't know. I'd love to, if, if, if the weirdest, you know, one out of however many chances, one out of 20 that USC ended up in the Rose Bowl, wouldn't you love a chance to play, uh, play Michigan? Uh, I don't know what the odds of, you know, Michigan falling to the Rose Bowl and USC falling up to the Rose Bowl. But I that'd be fun. I, I you know I I I don't disagree. And you got to give Michigan credit. I mean the teams they played. You think USC schedule is bad? Take a look at who Michigan played in October. I mean those teams couldn't score if Michigan got off the field. If Michigan put their you know managers out there on defense, I'm not sure some of those teams that they play. I mean uh, the one thing in the Pac-12, you're probably you might play some teams that aren't great. But they're probably going to be able to score the football. Uh, you go to the Big Ten, and you're going to play some teams that aren't great that may not be able to score the football. I mean, I think somebody said uh, they play, they gave up. Michigan gave up 28 to Colorado, and then the Colorado's quarterback got hurt, and that was pretty much it. And then in the next, like, five games, Michigan gave up 34 points. I mean, you're not, you know, so, you know, Comparing, you know, some of the, te- you know, the schedules and the teams, I-, I don't know that that really makes any sense. But, um, but uh, that would be a, that would be a neat thing if we could somehow get get Michigan and USC back together in the Rose Bowl. That'd be uh, that'd be good for me. Yeah, uh, a couple more for you. John and Brea wrote in. He said every time USC tries to go fast with the extra high tempo. They make a mistake, be it a penalty, a fumble, or just poor execution. A smart coach might say, let's stop doing that. Do you think this is all part of Clay Helton's learning on the job, or is he just stubborn? And why be in a hurry to score against Cal when you know they can't stop you? Only USC can make a 28-10 to 10 halftime lead this frustrating John and Brea. <laughs> yeah, John, I was a little surprised at some of the hurry-up stuff once they got the lead they got. Uh, that, you know... Uh, and, and I think one of the things that works against going hurry up in games is if you don't do it in practice. And, you know, I just think that's, I think that's the hardest single thing for a coach to do is to really gauge what do we have to do at practice and how fast do we have to do it and how much pressure do we have to do it under to most replicate the pressure and the tempo and the pace of a game. It was the genius of Pete Carroll. He figured it out. You know, and that's why they didn't let any college coaches come to their practices because they got there first. They really did for a while have, uh, you know, they weren't playing any gimmicky offenses or defenses or anything else. They were just playing faster in ways in which they put you under more pressure than you could handle. They could play faster than you could, you could play against them. Uh, it didn't mean they had to run a hundred plays, uh, but in the play itself, they were going faster than you were. They were competing harder, quicker, and um, 
that's I think that's the biggest learning lesson I think for Clay coming out of this year is figuring out how to do that with these players, this offense, this defense. How do you get it done in practice? I think it's still a work in progress. I think he's still working on it. They've made changes in terms of matching up the ones against the twos more. Uh, don't still do as much ones against ones in really full. And I don't mean they got to tackle and knock guys that not take guys to the ground and all that, but just uh, where there's full competition between your best players who, you know, where USC would have Kenichi Yadizi going against Sam Baker. That's however long you do it. That's really good. Uh, and so figuring out how to do that, I think is the key. And, and they, you know, haven't figured it yet, but they're getting there. I think they're kind of moving in the right direction. But, you know, we'll see. They got a lot of, a lot of games to go. And, uh, and that's what you want to see happen as they go through these last four or five or six games. We had, uh, Eric in Duck Country say, do you think even Marshall deserves all the criticism he gets? Uh, yes, he does commit some penalties, but he gets thrown out all the time because of a Dory Jackson on the other side. And he has a reputation for being a physical defender. It seems to me that the refs will just assume he's guilty. The horrible PI call he got against Cal is a perfect example. If he were a smaller defender, I think he would get away with a lot more. Thanks. Fight on Eric and Duck Country. Yeah. And in another conference, you know, you got a scaredy cat official who thinks, Oh, maybe I better throw it. Didn't know what the hell happened. Didn't see a really didn't see enough to be a, you know, a, a foul, but, uh, uh, I mean, one of the challenges there is, uh, Iman really, really plays well, redirects guys, uh, extremely well with his hands. He's got, and as, as Christ said, that's his great strength. Uh, I think he's also, he runs well with guys. His body control is good, but I think there are times he, he, he doesn't seem to know when to uh, switch it off. He doesn't probably pick up the football maybe as quickly as he needs to where you then you gotta say, okay, I don't still need to be using my hands here. Uh, he, he's got a desire to be as good as anybody could possibly be. I mean, he's a really good kid who really, really, really wants to be very good, you know, player out there and doesn't always have the ability to just relax. And switch it off. He, he, there are times when he's in great position, doesn't need to be touching the guy because the ball can't get to the receiver because it can't go through, you know, it's got to go through Adore's body, you know, I mean, uh, Iman's body and he'll still grab him. And that's just the, the one thing he's got to learn to do. The problem is, uh, if you're Iman, you've got the one play that maybe has already, you know, cost USC the championship. Uh, you know, they pay us interference on third down at Utah, where if he doesn't commit it, uh, game's over, USC wins. And that's something that's tough to live down. I mean, you just, you know, that's a, you know, there were a lot of other things that happened in that game. But if you say the one thing, you could just do it over, that's the one thing. All right. Uh, let's see. We have one more. From Otis, he says, now that Oregon has a new quarterback in Herbert, should USC be overly concerned with them? A mobile quarterback 
that can throw. And uh, he was actually the Pac-12 Player of the Week. And I think he set like a overall yards record for Oregon offense, uh, like 400-something yards passing and then a bunch of rushing too. Yeah, I think not overly concerned. I just think you're just aware of, you know, this kid uh, has come on uh, and for a couple of games, looks like uh, you're thinking, gee, uh, did they really have to go out and recruit a, you know, a graduate student from Montana State? Uh, would you have not been better off? I mean, he's big, strong, uh, you know, good-looking kid from right there in Eugene. Uh, you got, I mean, awful lot to like. Uh, you would hope USC has, you know, the ability to uh, make his life uncomfortable. I mean, I, I'll tell you what, uh, here you had a grad student transfer, big, strong kid, throws the ball great for Cal, and Davis Webb had a very uncomfortable night. He did not look like the guy we've seen all year long for Cal. And, you know, credit USC's defense. So I think a lot of what they did against Davis Webb uh, is the kind of stuff you want to be able to do against Herbert and a very similar, you know, kind of, you know, physical quarterback. And, uh, and yet he's a freshman. You would think you can do, uh, much that same kind of thing. And, and just, you know, uh, you've got an increased athleticism in the defenders, uh, that, that he's going to see. And they've got to exert that athleticism. But I wouldn't, wouldn't say you got to be overly, uh, you know, worried about, about him, you just have to be aware of what he can do. He's got some. He's got some real talent. I mean, it's amazing the Pac-12. You, you see kids like that just come out of nowhere, and you think, gosh, you know, this kid throws the ball well. He's six-five, um, athletic, and you you look around and you you think people in the SEC, for example, must look at the Pac-12 at times. When they're not making fun of it, they're saying, man, I wish we had some of those quarterbacks. Where do those guys come from on the West Coast? And it's, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, this is, I mean, Oregon didn't have a Pac-12 win, getting blown out by a lot of teams, but finally got off the snide and, and they, you know, uh, beat Arizona State. Um, Herbert's looking a lot better. Like you said, he was Pac-12 player of the week. They're coming in the Coliseum, Dan. And like I said, USC is a 17-point favorite, which is really high. I mean, that's a huge number. Um, you know, bigger, you know, what the Cal number ended up being 20, but it started off like lower than that. Uh, this is a team like, I think USC would have rather played Oregon a, a few weeks ago as opposed to right now. Uh, but this could be a dangerous one, you know? You know what though? I'm glad they're, they're playing a more dangerous team. I want them to have that challenge. And you still have to, you want to talk about a big number? Here's a big number. 128. That's where Oregon is on defense. Whoa. Out of 128. <laughs> the worst. I think, I think, well, I, I'm trying to think now. They're, they're also number 128 in penalties this week, which tells you something else. I mean, they, they run more plays. I think I, I, I meant to look that up and say, see if they still stayed 128 on defense. They were 128 last week. So I don't know if uh, holding uh, Arizona State to, what, 35 points? I don't know if that got them out of the cellar or not. But uh, but they've got some big numbers to defend <laughs> as well. Uh, they got to score a lot of I was on the Oregon board. I just was looking at some of those things. And the average score 
because they do a predict the score this week. I think the average score um, that the Oregon fans picked for USC was about 50, as high as 77. Whoa. Uh, but uh, they, uh, you know, the ones who picked Oregon to win, you would see uh, 48 to 45 or 52 to 50 or whatever. I'm not sure USC going to give up that many points, but uh, the Duck fans are, you know, still a little uh, uh, leery of their defense. Man, well, it should be an interesting one. Homecoming weekend uh, at USC, so it uh, should, be, should be fun, Dan. I'm looking forward to this one. And a 4 o'clock kickoff. Yeah. All right. Woo-hoo. All right, and 4.30 the next week at Washington. So there is a a value in winning football games and not looking like somebody they want to put real early in the day or real late at night. Uh, keep, you know, so if there's no cheering in the press box, we're probably cheering a little bit if you can get those those uh, starts, uh, you know, kind of the, the middle of the day start rather than the early or the late one. Yeah. All right, Dan. Well, great stuff. Thanks for uh, coming on. We'll see you out there practicing a little bit. See you there in a little bit. Okay. Thanks, Ryan. All right. That's Dan Weber. Uh, this is Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed the Peristyle podcast. USC homecoming this weekend against Oregon, like Dan said, 4 p.m. kickoff. Hope you guys enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.